0: Rolling stones and she's not talking about Mick Jagger, right? We're on the same page with that. Hey, welcome to our celebration of the resurrection. My name's Ryan. I am so glad that you're here today. We get to celebrate the reason for hope today. That's why we've gathered. A few weeks ago, my friend, who's also a pastor in the area, Narup, sent me a text message. And here's what his text message said. He said, what's your morning look like, MC? Because people call me MC. Just kidding, they don't. I don't know why he said that. But (laughs) have you ever read a text message and got the words right, but the intent wrong? So I wrote back to my buddy, Narup, and I said this. I get up at 5.45 and go on a run, treadmill in the basement, then read scripture and pray, then wake the kids up and get them ready to go on the bus. On late start days, which are Wednesday, I have time for additional reading, you?" (laughs) And he responded to me, that was very descriptive. I more meant, yo, dog, my meeting canceled. You bored and want to grab coffee? I mean, he's right. I was descriptive. I broke it down on days. I gave timestamps. like, wow. I had the words right, but I had the, the meaning wrong. I think when we hear resurrection, we have the words right but we might get the meaning wrong. I think a lot of us, we hear the word resurrection and we think, oh, this is the good news that we get to go to heaven when we die. And that's like a a part of the story of resurrection, but it's a really small part of the story of resurrection. It's, that's, that's getting the text message just a little bit wrong. And what I'd like to do this morning is look at John's gospel. If you have your Bible, you can open it to John chapter 19, John's gospel. And we're going to let John, one of Jesus's good friends, sort of reframe that word resurrection for us. Maybe build it out a little bit. Maybe we can get the, the text message right. Right. See, here's where the story began. We're going to start with where we ended on Good Friday. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and his final words, his exclamation, is three words in the English, one word in the Greek. It's the Greek word tetelestai in the English. It is what? Finished. It's done. Sin is atoned for. New life is being offered. It is finished. Finished. And after Jesus died, after he took his last breath, two of his disciples, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, came and asked Pilate for his body. Pilate gave him the body. They wanted the body because those who were crucified and enemies of the state, criminals, were typically, their bodies were typically taken and put in a heap and burned. And Joseph and Nicodemus refused to let that happen to their savior. So they asked Pilate for the body and Pilate gave them the body. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 41. They were carrying Jesus. And it says at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was what? A garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. You know, as a pastor, you know you get to preach resurrection every single year. I mean, multiple times than that, but but we gather one year to celebrate he is risen. And so, as a pastor, you look at the story and you try to see it from new and different angles, and I don't know how I'd ever missed that Jesus was crucified in a garden. That he hung on a cross, and in in close vicinity, there was a garden there, and in that garden, there was a tomb, that, that death, the crucifixion, and the life of a garden existed in similar space. If you were a Jewish reader of this text, what do you think you might have started to think about? A garden, hmm, where have we heard that before? hmm. That sounds familiar. I've heard that story of God doing something in a garden. I can't quite put my... Oh, that's right. Adam and Eve were created and put in a garden. Right, right. And what John's doing is John is beginning to retell this story of creation. If you go back and you read John's the first verse in John's gospel he said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God his whole gospel begins with in the beginning He's talking about a new creation. He's talking about a, a new beginning. He's talking about a a new Adam and a new garden. Now, if I'm you, I'm saying, "Hey Paulson, we need more than one verse." Back that up. oh, Glad you asked. Here we go. Let's keep reading. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. On the first day of the week, John is continuing to use creation language. God creates on the first day. John, a poet, has all of these echoes. Not just a timestamp of when Jesus was resurrected, but an invitation to believe that new creation is upon us. Mary gets to the tomb Peter and John run and race there, we'll talk about that in just a moment, and they don't find the body, they believe that Jesus' body has been taken away, and so they leave, they go back to their homes, but Mary stays and Mary weeps, and here's what the text says in verse 15, Jesus, who she doesn't recognize yet, said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, supposing him to be the gardener. Like the creator of it all, covered in dirt. The crucified Messiah taking up the hoe to till the ground. The, the king of it all, like, like he would get down on hands and knees and plant seeds in ground. She thought he was the gardener. She supposed him to be the gardener. And she wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong. He, he, he is the gardener. He's the one who's bringing forth new creation. He's the one who's speaking life into death. He's the one who's bringing hope out of despair. He's the one who's turning tears into triumph. He is the gardener. I mean, think about it. Jesus told parables about God being the farmer who would scatter seed and then cause it to grow, didn't he? Mary's not wrong. Jesus is the gardener. He's the great gardener. He's the the cosmic gardener. Where the first gardener, Adam, failed, Jesus, the second gardener, succeeds. In fact, he'll go on, Jesus will, in the book of Revelation to say this, behold, I am making all things new. He doesn't say, behold, I'm making all new things. (laughs) No, he says, behold, I'm making all things new new. Over this last week, we've had the chance to host an art show where Forrest Morgan, an artist in our community, did eight stations of the cross. And my favorite station of the cross was station number eight, where Jesus is crucified and dies. I saw this picture that Forrest painted, and and immediately it captured me. Because to me, this is the picture of of the gardener. In fact, you, you have a business card with this picture on it. Will you pull it out? It's a picture of new creation. It's a picture of of the cosmos that that Jesus is making new, that with his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he says, yeah, yeah, on the cross, it is finished. But when he walks out of the grave, his exclamation is, it can begin again. See, it, it is finished is not the end of the story, is it? And we're not starting over, we're starting again with the resurrection of Jesus. Redemption is purchased on the cross, but friends, make no mistake about it, renewal begins at the resurrection. He is the gardener. And the bed that he gardens in is your life and mine, creating new things out of the dirt. I love the way that the great author Friedrich Buechner puts it. He says, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Come on now, that's good. The worst thing is never the last thing. And that when Jesus, the Messiah, walked out of the grave, here's what he declared. It was not the declaration, someday you can go to heaven. The declaration was, This world matters. Your life matters. His creation matters. Resurrection means that God has not given up on his good creation, that he's so invested in it, that he's so committed to it, that he would give his own life to bring renewal in what we have broken. That's what resurrection means: It's not escape from the world. It's embrace of the world and renewal within it. And that all sounds like really good news, doesn't it? The great gardeners at work and our life be because it is finished, it can be begin again. again. <laughs> See, but here's a problem. Here's a problem. Here's a problem. You know the, the thing that makes soil receptive to a seed? You know the the thing that makes life grow in the dirt? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it takes tilling, doesn't it? If you've ever tried to um, garden something in Colorado, you know that you need to break up hard ground. And in order for the great gardener to to garden in your life, he needs to break up some hard ground sometimes. You know the thing that makes soil rich? Manure. (laughs) Compost. And it's the very thing that God uses to birth new, rich life in your life. The things that we'd often want to ignore are the very places that God meets us. And as the great gardener starts to till the soil of our soul, and he uses the manure and compost of our lives to birth his new life. Happy Easter. (laughs) Christ is risen. (laughs) Let's look at how John retells this story. Remember, Mary is standing at the tomb. We'll see that she's weeping in just a moment. Peter and John have already left, and here's what it says in verse 11. As Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped and she looked into the tomb. Do you you sort of get the, the scene in your mind? She's looking in, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. And one at his head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. I mean, put yourself in Mary's place. You've just seen your friend and whom you thought was your Messiah crucified. You've gone back a few days later to check on his body. His body's gone. And in this moment for Mary, in this moment, her greatest hope is that she can find a dead body. Her wildest dream is maybe, just maybe, they haven't burned Jesus' body. Maybe, just maybe, we'll find him. Maybe, just maybe, we can give him a proper burial. Her greatest hope is finding a dead body. I think a lot of us, we walk in these doors on Easter Sunday, and that's our greatest hope, too. Like, we'll, like we'll just be able to make it through. We'll just be able to survive. Like the, mar- the marriage is over. Everything has changed. Everything is different. But but maybe, just maybe, we'll find the dead body. Maybe we can put our finger on it. And and so for Mary, for Mary, what Jesus starts to garden in her life is this awakening. She's moved from looking for death to clinging to destiny. That's what's happening in Mary's life. And Mary, for Mary, what the resurrection means, what beginning again means is that hope is reawakened. And isn't there something in us that... Even if you're here this morning and you're just curious about Jesus or you're here because it's your tradition to come or you're here because it's what you think you should do on Easter, even if you don't believe in resurrection, don't you want to? Don't you want to believe that new life is possible, that the gardeners at work in us and that the end isn't really the end? I think we do. And we proved it. We proved it as a culture last Sunday. We love resurrection. We want resurrection to be true. Whether we think it is or not, we want it to be true. You know what my proof is? <laughs> Tiger Woods. After a decade, of obscurity in the golf world as far as his performance on the course, right? After a decade of not winning a major championship, Tiger wins the Masters, and we lost our minds, didn't we? I mean, Twitter needed a resurrection after it exploded, right? It was done. But there's something in us, isn't there? We want to believe that our failures aren't final. We want to believe that our past doesn't have to define us. We want to believe that there's grace and that there's good news. And regardless of what we think about Tiger and his personal life, there's something in us that loves the resurrection story. I want to suggest to you that the reason we love that story is because ultimately it is God's story. And ultimately... It is your story. For early followers of Jesus, their conviction was, one day, one day, I will hear my name and I will rise. So let me just preach a little bit of hope to you this morning for those friends and family members in the Lord who you've said goodbye to, they will rise. One day, one day, sorrow will be no more Death will be no more. Pain will be no more. Tears will be no more. One day, God will finish his recreation work in new heaven, new earth, and in your resurrection. (laughs) And you will rise. See, for Mary, hope is reawakened. And my prayer for you and for us is that it might be reawakened in us this morning as well. We want that story to be true because it's true. But in the in-between time, we might feel a little bit more like Mary. Verse 11, Mary's weeping. Verse 13, Mary's weeping. Verse 15, Mary's weeping. You get the theme? right? And we can can knock Mary for being a little bit over-emotional, but she's just said goodbye to her friend and Messiah. That word weeping in the Greek is literally, she's like heaving. Like from the inside out, she's just an absolute mess. Remind me again, where were Peter and John? Home. They thought, his body's gone. The story's done. We're out. And it's in this in-between time. From where John and Peter, who raced to the grave, and John wants to be very clear in verses two through 10, that he is faster than Peter, okay? So he says two times, I beat Peter to the grave. Did I mention I'm faster than Peter? So he says, he's, and then just as quickly as they get there, they're gone. And Mary stays, and Mary sits in her pain, and Mary sits in her questions, and Mary sits in the darkness. And it's only in sitting in her darkness and only in sitting in the pain that she gets to hear her voice said by her Savior. We often want to move through the grief process quicker than I think God intends us to move. And we want to hear God's voice in the midst of the pain, but we leave too quickly. Will you look up at me for just a moment, friends? The only reason Mary hears the voice of Jesus in this moment is because she sits with her pain. And if you're having a hard time hearing your Savior's voice or hearing the voice of Jesus, can I invite you to maybe just pause and sit a little bit longer? It's really interesting because it's in her sitting that she eventually is commissioned, Listen to what Mary says, Jesus says to Mary. Mary Magdalene went out and announced to the disciples, that's awesome. I have seen the Lord, and he said these things to me. You see what's going on? Is that Mary's weeping is transformed into her witness. Mary's sorrow is transformed into her song. Mary's tears are transformed into her triumph. And for Mary, she goes from weeping to witness, and her sorrow is reversed. The the great gardener's work in Mary's life is taking what was the most painful day of her life and turning it into proclamation. He's alive. He's alive. J.R.R. Tolkien, famous author, he termed this, you catastrophe, would you say that with me? You catastrophe. It's a made up word, I think. Um, <laughs> but it just means the opposite of a catastrophe. It, it means uh, unexpected triumph amidst the debris of despair, the moment when misery and defeat are turned into inexplicable joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This res- reversal is exactly what resurrection does in the world and in your life too. Good Friday is good. Jesus Messiah, out, right? Good Friday is good, yet Mary's mess has turned into her message. And I love that this didn't just happen for Mary, but it happens all over. It happens all over our church. It happens all over because God the Great Gardener is at work. And I want you to hear one of the stories of the way that he is. This is Terry and Sharon's story. They were part of our Overcome group that helps people who are engaging with mental illness issues. And they were part of that group and were generous enough to share their story of sorrow being
1: reversed. I'm Terry, this is my fiancee, Shay.
2: So I think it's been about nine months or 10 months since we first started coming, since last summer.
1: In one of our first one or two sermons, um, they announced the Overcome group, and that was something that intersected with my and our lives, that this was a community we really need to do to explore further. And
2: We decided to take a chance and become a part of the group I feel like I've struggled with um, anxiety for most of my life. I've always been a type-A go-getter and this idea of perfection, uh, you know, has haunted me my entire life and, and that um, there were definitely some unresolved issues that I thought that I had handled and it That's just became right. re- readily apparent that it was necessary for me to address these things on a deeper level, that it didn't just affect me, it affected others that were around me. And um, so we've embarked on that journey together.
1: My story is uh, throughout my life, I've always had challenges with periods of deep depression or anxiety. I've uh, done medication, counseling, um, prayed, come and and gone through all of those things. The class was really focused on people who are struggling with mental health issues. And it's my humble belief that everyone addresses these issues at one point in their life, either walking through that journey themselves um, or supporting somebody else. To learn about tools that can help us, but also bring us into a community that is um, confidential, um, caring, so it's not strictly just a, this is what the Bible tells you and how you should think about it. It really was an amalgam of all the different things that that can address mental health issues and how they can all coexist um, perfectly in God's world. For me, I, I believe this helped us live abundantly.
2: I think before I would often have a, a challenging relationship with God in that I thought he was punishing me. You know, why, why are things going this way? Why do I feel this way? And that I was able to come away with it feeling much more self-compassionate, much more a sense of and an identity that I'm worthy of God's love. I'm a child of His. Beautiful. I love that idea of becoming, of becoming more of who you were meant to be and more of, more Christ-like. There is hope. There used to be this powerful
1: stigma that if I'm blue or if I'm anxious or if I'm struggling with something, I need to keep that in to myself. And I would encourage you to, to look at it from the perspective that you're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of the opportunity to feel God's love, but also you're robbing the other people around you of the opportunity to help and they may not even be aware that you're struggling with something.
2: For anyone who's really struggling and finding themselves in darkness and in the middle of a storm and it seems like there's no one around, um, there's the phrase take a leap of faith and sometimes you have to be brave and just take that first step and God will meet you along the way, and you'll find that there are people who put their arms around you and welcome you, and it's really scary at first, and you think that there's no way that it can ever get better, but we're here to tell you that it can. Like, there are many ways to get to the end and to see light again. It sometimes can take a long time, but. The path is there, and all you have to do is take that first step.
0: Hey, will you help me say thank you to Terry and Sharon? (laughs) I love a lot of things about that story, but here's, let me just tell you just briefly uh, two things. Number one, I love, I love that we are a community of faith that's safe enough to share stories like that. I'm struggling with mental health issues, and I reached out. And I love, second, that we're a church that says, man, we want to create space for people to move towards wholeness, towards healing, and towards relationship with each other and relationship with God that he designed us to have. I love the the end of that. There was this question, you know, we took this step. What's What's your next step? What's your step? Look at the way that this story ends. Verse 16. And Jesus said to her Mary. I mean you wonder what his voice sounded like. Somehow she recognizes one word. One word that's all it took. One word and Mary goes, "Oh. Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus, it's it's you." It's a one-word sermon that Jesus just gave. And it starts to awaken all of these things in Mary. She's starting to maybe think, maybe I'm not just the Mary that has the checkered past. Maybe I'm not the Mary that that had the demons and that Jesus drove them out. Maybe I'm not the Mary that was just sort of pushed to the side. Maybe I am who he says I am. Maybe I'm that Mary. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus is awakening something in her. And when you hear Jesus say your name, it changes everything. It changes everything. And Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to whom? My father and your father, to my God and your God. Hey, Mary, now that I'm resurrected from the dead, guess what? You and I are siblings. You're my sister." You're you're in the family, Mary. You've been moved from uh, orphaned to adopted. And that's exactly what resurrection does, is it restores in us this original calling of God, what we'll call it the vocation. It's what you were put here to do, who you were put here to be. It's buried deep inside that Jesus wants to call out of you. For Mary, her vocation is restored. See, the defeat of sin isn't just about getting us into heaven. Listen to me. Look up at me for a moment. The defeat of sin is not just about getting us into heaven. It's about giving us back our humanity. It's about restoring What God originally put you and I here to do and you and I here to be to release our gifting that he's put in us to the world to glorify and lift up his name. If resurrection is a reality, we have a word for the life that that embodies. It's called discipleship. It's called apprenticeship. Mary, follow me. Mary, be who I designed you to be. Mary, let go of the sin. Let go of the shame. Walk into new life. Mary, I'm the gardener. And I'm restoring everything that the enemy wants to rip from your life. See, when we become children, we also are recommissioned to be children of God and to live knowing that this world matters to God. That people matter to God. That our work, Monday through Friday, matters to God. That being neighbors matters to God. That all of life is sacred. Mary, you're my sister. Now go and live in my way with my heart. He is the gardener. She got it exactly right. And here's the thing, friend. I don't know if this is your first time in church in a long time or if you're here every single week. But but as as a pastor, and, and I'd love to be your pastor, but can I just tell you, God is at work in your life. There's ways that you see it and you can put your finger on it. There's ways that you have no clue that he's planting seed, that he's bringing life out of the death, that he's using the manure and the junk of your life to birth new life and new hope. And that, friends, that is what Easter resurrection is all about. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Our band's going to come back and lead us in one last song, and as they do that, I just wanna give you a few, what do we do with this? Here's the first thing we do. I, I want to remind you today that being human is not something to be escaped and it's not something to be minimized. When Jesus walks out of the grave as a renewed human being, he puts his stamp of approval on his original creation project. Being human is good. Being human is beautiful. Being human is a gift. Don't miss the gift today. Don't miss it. In fact, would you just take a deep breath? You're alive. You're alive. Jesus says that's a really good thing. It's so good. I am protecting it for all of eternity. Here's the second thing I want you to do today. I want you to name your fertilizer. (laughs) There's some things in your life that you wish weren't there. But maybe, just maybe, those are the very things that God will use to bring something beautiful out of the ashes. Name it. Give it to him. And finally, friends, today, would we be a church, a gathering of people that looks forward to resurrection? One day you will hear your name, if you're in Christ, and you will rise to life eternal, renewed heavens, renewed earth. But the reality is, friends, you don't have to wait for that day to see resurrection. It happens in nature. It happens in creation. It happens all around us. Resurrection isn't just something that happened to Jesus and that will one day happen to you. That's true. But resurrection is also something that happens every day all around you. If you have eyes to see it, you will see the anthem of Jesus, that the end is never the end. And John tells you why he writes this book. He told you why he wrote his account of Jesus's life. He says, I'm writing to you so that you may believe, and that in believing, you might have eternal life. And so I wanna call you to belief today, whether it's the first time ever, or the first time in forever, or the first time since this morning. I wanna call you to belief and life in his name. So let's pray. And Aaron will lead us one last song. Jesus, we thank you for being the good gardener and we thank you that because it is finished, it can begin again may it be so in our lives. Jesus, for the people who are here, and maybe for the first time are saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I, I, I want to hear my name, like you said to Mary, her name. I want to be restored. I want to be renewed. I want my sorrow to be reversed. Jesus, for those people, would you call them really clearly, even right now, and If that's you, I just invite you to pray Jesus, I give you my life. I wanna wanna follow you. I wanna become a disciple of yours. I wanna leave a life of sin and walk into a life of faith. And if you are a follower of Jesus, my invitation to you is reaffirm Jesus, you're the gardener. May my life be your soil bed. And would you burst something beautiful out of the ashes, out of the pain, out of the dirt? Out of the junk, would you be a God who makes all things new in me? Because it is finished, Jesus, we believe it can
1: begin again. Would you stand with me?